Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of life and for bringing us together this morning. Convict others to come to this room. Increase the curiosity factor as to what this is all about. And bless our time together. Bless Elder Mercado as he shares from his experience as a pastor and how you gave him a vision to reach out to those that you brought to his community. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Elder Mercado is Vice President of the Lake Union and Director of Multicultural, Multicultural Ministries. Uh, let, me, let me just uh, start out by explaining uh, what happened to me when I was pastoring in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was pastoring in Fort Wayne for about, I'd been, I had pastored for about seven years, and one, year, one time, when I was in, the, in my office in Fort Wayne, uh, I got a call. I was just happened to be at the office, not there very often, by the way, but it just when I was there, the phone rang, and I answered the phone. And they said, they asked, Are you, uh, is this the Seventh-day Adventist Church? I said, yes, it is. Uh, can I speak with the pastor? And they said, well, I'm the pastor for the church. And they said, this is, uh, we're, and I don't remember the name of the organization, but they said, we're a refugee resettlement agency in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it so happens that we have a, and we uh, are ones that are signed to be able to work with refugees who are coming from overseas to come to the United States. And she went on explaining, the reason I'm calling is because there is a, ref there is a refugee family from the Karens. And I said, Karens? I said, yes, I've never heard of that. Well, there are, there are a certain group of people in Myanmar. And they, are, they have been accepted, they've been processed and vetted quite a bit, and they've been accepted to go ahead and come to the United States. And they have asked if they could be settled in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I said, where are they? They're in a refugee camp in Thailand. I said, what? <laughs> they say they want to be with a church with the seventh, with the, associated with the Seventh-day Adventist church because they say they are Seventh-day Adventists. I said, okay, get me started. I'm thinking for a moment, are they pulling... Are they pulling my leg? You know, I mean, here I am, a lady from Indianapolis who is saying she has a family that are in a refugee camp in Thailand and that they have been uh, through a process of vetting and, and looking through and they have been accepted to come to the United States. And I said, okay. And they said, and I said, why Fort Wayne? Why Fort Wayne, Indiana? You know, I mean, they're bigger communities and cities and so forth. And she said at the time that Fort Wayne happens to have the largest population of Karen in the United States. I said, really? I said, yes. Uh, and I didn't know that either. Uh, I didn't know that either. I don't know how it is now. I think it's probably different now. But back then, she said Karen are the, lar the largest population of Karen refugees are in Fort Wayne. They have an association and that kind of thing. Um, and there are several different religious groups that support that. And I said, okay, would you consider hosting this family? Would you consider, we, and there's some, some funding from the government to help with this type of thing, but we need a family that will, a church that will associate themselves with them 
and help them acclimate into their new culture. So I said, okay. And so uh, I said, I have, to, I have to consult with my church members and so forth. So we understand. And so she gave me her name and phone number and where to call and that kind of thing to return her call back. So uh, this was new to me, uh, totally new. I had never really thought about refugees per se. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't, I was just in my own world as far as working with people from different groups other than Hispanics. I have worked with Hispanics. And nothing at the seminary prepared you. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, I, 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 being Hispanic, I pastor Hispanic churches. I had been at one time even Hispanic coordinator for a while. But outside of that, of course, Southeast Asia was kind of out of my picture. So the, the thing I did, I talked to my head elder. And he said, well, let's get the other elders together. So we did. We got the elders together and we talked for a little bit. And they said, you know, this is a really good, this is, a, a, this is an open door. This is an open door. This is an opportunity. Uh, and so they said, let's talk with the board. And so we had a board meeting. And we had quite a bit of discussion. And, it was, and so happened that the board meeting was scheduled for that particular, for the following Sunday. So, so let's put it on the agenda. So we presented the, uh, the story of this family who were coming from Thailand, from a refugee camp in Thailand, who had lived in Myanmar, but of, because of circumstances there and so forth, they had been living in Thailand in the camp for several years. And finally, they were on their way. And so we presented this situation to the board members, and they had a lot of questions, as you can imagine. It says, how responsible are we? So the government will do this and so forth. Well, we have to be giving them the, the support that they need, especially the spiritual support that they need. They are, uh, are Seventh-day Adventists. And one lady stood up, and she was community services director, and she says, they are family. If they're Seventh-day Adventists, they are family. We have to support them as family. And so she really made a strong push for that. And so I said, well, I, I believe the same thing. I think we should do something. And so the board voted to go ahead and start a system of support, to prepare them for their long journey. Can you imagine coming all the way from Thailand to Fort Wayne, Indiana? And so we got a lot of it. We talked with the agency, and they said, this is what you can do, and so forth. We also talked with some uh, people who were Karen. We've discovered people who were Karen. One lady in particular was Baptist, Karen. And so they gave us a lot of guidance. And so uh, I was really impressed. I mean, it says, okay, this is something we're going to put up on. Let's go for it. And they said, well, how are we going to pay for it? And the community service lady says, well, we can use from my budget, Plus, we can make an appeal. And so uh, on Sabbath, we explained the story to them, and, uh, and, and we made an appeal. And boy, did they respond <laughs> as far as the financial support to get it going. And so they got the, the, the uh, we, we, we started the process, and, uh, and the process basically was preparing, of course, they lived in a tent, if you can imagine that, all these years, and so we set up an apartment, and we said, we need donations for furniture. And so we got donations for furniture. And then they said, well, we need, we need to stock it with food. And so um, it so happens we didn't know it either, but there was a, there's a store in town 
that serves stuff that's particularly geared for Karen. <laughs> I didn't even know they had a restaurant there, <laughs> for that matter. But there is a restaurant uh, there in Fort Wayne, too, as well. And so we got all the information together and so forth. And, and boy, they worked hard. They painted the apartment, and they, they got everything all set up. And, and finally, the day came in which we were to meet them at the airport. And they explained that the journey would be very long and very exhausting. If you can imagine all the stops coming in, perhaps maybe Terry, you've been over there, so it's quite a journey from, uh, from uh, I don't know, how long is it itself when you think about it? It's about 24 hours once you, once you leave Bangkok, but for the refugees, they are usually coming. They come from a refugee camp way up on the border down to a transit camp so there's a lot of stops. That's bottom line, and and, and it's a lot of stops. I can't imagine the uh, the experience of flying, and I don't know if they've even flown before, for that matter. And so you know, you think about it, the transition from one country to another, and making all the different stops. We figured they were tired, but they got there. It was late at night uh, in Fort Wayne at the airport. We have an airport in Fort Wayne, second largest city, so the airport were there. And the, we were there. Uh, my father happened to be there, too, by the way. He was visiting me, too, so he was saying, oh, this is interesting, you know. And so in the Karen, there was a couple of ladies that were, who spoke Karen. One was Karen, and the other knew Karen, but she wasn't Karen. And so uh, they came at the airport, and if you can imagine, they're just very exhausted. It was family, I think, husband, wife, and several children, and so forth. And, uh, but they were all there, and we couldn't speak with them, but we showed by our actions, you know, by, you know how they say that communication uh, by words is really 7%. True communication is mostly nonverbal than it is verbal. And so we made a point of being, in our nonverbal behavior, expressing our appreciation for them. And so uh, they were welcomed. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, we, we said, uh, there were a couple words that we learned in Korean <laughs> from people and so forth, but they were, they were tired. So we drove them over, uh, we had several cars follow us over there to the apartment, and we uh, opened, the, opened the apartment, let them in, and by the way, some other Karens from town met us at the apartment too, they had been there established for a while. And so uh, when we went and walked them in the apartment, they were just blown away. You can imagine, you know, seeing their apartment you know, freshly furnished, freshly painted, and the food that were stocked, the rice and so forth, different things. We explained to them all this. Uh, you know, it brought tears to our eyes, really, to see how they felt so welcome. In fact, one of the Karen uh, members who lived, well, now he's not a member, but a Karen person that lived there for quite a while, he says, wow, we've never seen such a welcome from a church uh, like this, you know. And then the process started as far as getting them acclimated to things. And I really appreciate uh, 
uh, Jeanette Griffith is her name. She was a community service lady. She really took them to heart. I mean, she made sure that every day someone was there to give them some support in some way. They started English classes for them. They started uh, teaching them about getting around in the community and they drove them to different uh, things. Uh, they were able to get jobs. Uh, the, the agency was contacted them with a couple of jobs that, they, that were available for them to work. And the Karen, of course, community itself gave them a lot of support too as well. But it was neat to see them come to church. That, that first Sabbath, they all came to church. And it was just so special. The church clapped. They literally clapped when they came in. And they said, this is our home. This is your home now. We welcome you to the family of God. I'm so glad to be a part of what? The family of God. And you know, that's what we are. We're all family. But the reality is that families are spread all around. And you know, uh, that experience really taught me a valuable lesson. By the way, some of those children went on to our, to our church school and they went to the academy, graduated for the academy. I haven't kept up with them as far as they're going, but we have a strong support system for the Quran. We still have a, con a congregation there that meets at the church. It's been all these years, you know, and we're talking about 15, 16 years. And uh, there's still a good group there, good ministry going on and so forth. And uh, for me, it was life-changing to see this kind of a ministry. And then, of course, I left the, um, I left the uh, church to work at the union office. And uh, my initial uh, responsibility worked with Hispanic ministries. And so that's what my work was doing as my pre predecessor was doing. Uh, but then I began to realize that there are other ethnicities and other refugee groups that are here in, the, in our union. Uh, and I was fascinated to see uh, several churches reaching out to refugees. Uh, and even today, uh, it's interesting that now in, our, in the context that I work in at the union office, we have several different uh, groups of refugees. Um, and uh, thank God that we have that ministry going. Um, our role at the union office is to give encouragement and support in reaching out to the situation among refugees in our, in our country, in our union particularly. Uh, right now, the United Nations just released a report saying there are about 69 million displaced people in the, United, in the world, displaced 69 million people in the world, um, there's a displaced person. Uh, the, the estimate is that in the last 10 years, um, one out of every four refugees that come to the United States are Karen, by the way, one out of four, which means about 160,000 refugees have come in in the last term from Myanmar, from, that are Karen. But they're not just Karen that are coming to the U.S. They're also, also Rwandan, uh, Congolese, a lot of different groups. And Terry will explain more about that here, per se. In our union, we, uh, we have a strong support system for refugees. Um, in fact, uh, we have, a, we have a, uh, a support system that only gives training and encouragement to the churches, uh, speaking about cultural intelligence, 
We also have funds, funding, a small funding that we make available for a church that wants to reach out to refugees and so forth. We can apply and you can, and you can request funding for that, uh, per se. Um, and uh, as far as I know, we have several congregations in, in, uh, in the Union in, in, in Indiana, Indianapolis particularly. We have two uh, refugee congregations there that I know of uh, with the Indiana Conference. There's also uh, a Rwandan refugee in, uh, with Lake Region in Indianapolis too as well. And of course, Battle Creek, uh, Fort Wayne, Rockford, Illinois, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, there are a number of them. And actually, there are actually potential for more outreach when you consider that the refugees are just all over the US. Uh, it's a matter of ministry. Um, one of the things that we've done, uh, that I've done in our union, or we've done in the union, is to edu is educate. Educate regarding the need that exists there. Uh, one of the things that was interesting is that a number of the uh, refugee pastors came up to me, uh, and I've been meeting with them once a year, usually in the summer, uh, and talking with them about their needs. And one of the things they said is that they wanted to get training uh, they've noticed that the Hispanics were getting training in terms of small groups in different areas of ministry. They said, we want to get trained in small groups. I said, so really? Said, yes. You know, we know this is what Ellen White teaches. This is what the Bible teaches about small groups to reach out to the world. It says, okay. Could the, and they asked then the question, could the Hispanics teach us <laughs> how, to do how to do small groups? So really? He said, yeah. And so I talked with the Hispanic coordinator for Indiana, who's very expert, very much of an expert in the area of small groups. I said, could we do this? I said, yes. You know, we'll, we'll cross the language barrier, but it's basically a universal biblical principle anyway. And so if you can imagine for me, I have a picture, I didn't bring it, um, of these Hispanic pastors. There were three Hispanic pastors, and there were about 40, I think, refugees there in our union office. And they were learning all these basic, basic principles regarding how small groups work. Universal principles. They went through the course. It was a course offered by the seminary, by the way. And so uh, and when they completed the course, it was amazing to see them now march down with their cap and gowns. You know, having and so proud of having been trained by the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary certification program they have for that in the area of small groups. They've now since gone through a second through a second cycle of training. They asked to be trained in the area of youth ministry. If you go to a uh, typical refugee congregation, you'll see that there are a lot of young people, a lot of young people in the uh, in the uh, in the in their congregations. And so they wanted to do small uh, youth ministry. So they've been doing it for several months. Their last, their last training is this coming Sabbath at the union office. And then the 30th, the last Sabbath, is when they'll have their, their graduation too as well. So we do what we can in our part to provide refugee ministry. Our only, our only, our only uh, uh, involvement is how we can help you. As you see a situation, as you see a need, and you know, it could be just simply going through, this, through a grocery store, for example, and you'll see someone, and you'll see a, a family or a couple or so forth, 
that are, you know, obviously uh, not native U.S., but they're, they could be African, they could be Asian, and so forth. Just getting acquainted with them, asking them how they are. We have a ministry. We have a ministry that Ellen White brings out, by the way. Uh, in, your art, in, your, um, in your handout here, there's a quote that I have from Ellen White that I find really interesting on the second page. She says here, as I have testified for years, and this is from Evangelism 370, if we were quick in discerning the opening providences of God, we should be able to see in the multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America a divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message in all the nations of the earth. God in his providence has brought men to our very doors. Do you believe that? That God has brought providence to their very doors and thrust them, as it were, into our arms. That they might learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. We have, a, we have a hope. We have a blessed hope. And why not share it? And you say, well, I don't know the language. Though you don't need to know the language. All you need to know is to know, have the desire to serve. And you can learn how to minister to them. And we can help you with that, by the way, as well as, of course, Terry is, is, is our, by the way, I appreciate Terry being here. She's our NAD uh, refugee ministry coordinator. And we, uh, we partnered together very closely. We had a refugee conference at the, at the seminary last year. We had refugees come and leaders from across North America here for that occasion last year. And so the union is there to serve. The North American division is there to serve. Your local conference here in Michigan conference also has a, mes uh, a multicultural minister director. I believe it's Daniel Scaroni, I think it's uh, so forth. So the opportunities are there. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, we uh, we're we're there to serve, and that's what the the conference and the union and so forth uh, are there to do. North American Division is to serve as well. So we uh, we encourage you to do that. So think about it. Is there something that our church can do? You may say, well, we're a little church. Doesn't matter, big or small. You know, one of the things that I found interesting when I was Hispanic coordinator is that, uh, uh, is that I found non-Hispanic church members coming to me and says, you know, we have some Hispanics that are out here in this community. Can, what could we do? And I said, well, this is what you can do. Just get the materials and tracks and so forth. We'll give you direction. Well, in the same way with refugees. You may say, what can we do? So, well... Consider that. Look at the, look at the demographics. Look, what they're, look where they're living and so forth. And ask yourself the question, is God calling me to be of service in this special work? Uh, that's what God is calling. There's a quote from Scripture. There's a bunch of quotes here, actually, 12 verses uh, on refugees. I'll just read the one, the first one, Leviticus 19, uh, 33 and 34. And I'll close with this. Uh, on your, uh, the very first one, love refugees as yourselves. It goes like this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, and uh, by the way, certain versions say stranger, but that's what it means. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. And then it says, love them as what? 
as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus 19. So God calls us to love them, and in turn, we fulfill the command. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Any questions? Any questions or thoughts on what we do? Yes. Are you going to be here more than just today and get your contact information? What you can do is call at the office. I will only be here for today because uh, I have another appointment and so forth. But you can call the Lake Union office, uh, 269-473-8200. My administrative assistant answers the call. And she'll, uh, if you want to speak to me, we can coordinate a time, whether meet at the office or call me at, uh, at, at the office, we can work, work something out. But we're there to support, for sure. 269-473-8200. So, Just ask for Pastor Mercado, uh, Lake Union Multicultural Ministries. Okay, well, I'm... Yes? The training that you've been giving these pastors uh, they, they're aware of them. We haven't had a close, uh, uh, we haven't, we've, let's put it this way. We make them aware of the, uh, of the training that's available. And so uh, we're happy to share that with them at any time as far as specifics. Uh, I don't know that we've come at, contacted regularly with them, but we let them know this is what's available for them. Um, and so, uh, and that's why they're coming from the different conferences, by the way. There's some coming from Illinois, some coming from Indiana, some from Grand Rapids too as well. So we're finishing up this year, uh, the last one this year. I don't know if we'll do it again next year. Some of them are saying we're going to do a pause for a year. And by the way, the training is done by the seminary, uh, some of the seminary professors. We said, well, there's certain ones that, certain things that are done differently. Hispanics, they like to do it locally. But it's uh, the, the refugee, the Myanmar refugees that said, well, we want to do it centrally located, right here at by Andrews. And so that's why we've made it done that way. So, any other questions? Okay, Terry, yes. I would just like to say this is, thank you for sharing that. I didn't, I knew that a little had a burden for it and a sensitivity to and doing wonderful things for refugees. I didn't know the background. I didn't know what, how you initially got involved. Okay. And I just want to say this is an excellent. Yes. Uh, hopefully it will be helpful. You'll see, especially in the back, there's a, it says seven steps to starting a refugee ministry. I think that's helpful insight that's given there too as well. So you have some information and so forth. So those seven steps is what you did with your church board in Fort Wayne? Pretty much. Yeah, okay. pretty much. Pretty much. So something gets worked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you can adapt it to your own. Right. That's exactly right. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. I'm going to pass this on to you. I think this is, belongs to you now. <laughs> well, it's an honor to be here. And my, what do I call you? <laughs> Family. <laughs> my Kind of our our boy and yet our leader for the Lao work in North America, Pastor Sang Tong Sang Tip. Um, 
told me about this, and it's an honor to be able to be here. He has a wonderful story. Don't uh, Be sure to come back every day, because he's going to be sharing his testimony. I wish so much I could be here for it. <laughs> but um, Just to give you a little background, I was born in Wyoming, grew up in Nebraska. I don't know if, I don't, the first time I remember hearing about refugees was when I felt impressed to talk to the vice president of Union College. I was there as a freshman on a totally unrelated topic, and he said, do you mind coming to my office? Now, this was test week, and when I went to his office, he, he told me about refugees, about the boat people from Vietnam. Now, this was way back in the 80s when it was Cambodian refugees, Vietnamese refugees, um, Lao and Hmong refugees, primarily. And a friend of mine had said, you should go to Korea. She had been a student missionary in Korea. She said, they will love you. They'll take you out to eat, and you can buy designer's jeans. They're real cheap. <laughs> and I prayed about it. But I just felt like, what kind of motivation would that be? But God used that to help me to start thinking in terms of missions and run it by my parents and go through the various hoops you have to go through to, to kind of mentally and spiritually prepare for the concept of, of going overseas. So test week, when the call came, and it was a call from the founder of ASAP Ministries, Judy Aitken. She was then in Thailand. That was before ASAP was launched. And um, she was working with refugees over there. And she and her husband had sent a call to Union College for some student missionaries to teach English and Bible in refugee camps. And God had prepared me, and I was able to answer the call, and that changed my life. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Um, so I went for six months, stayed four years, ended up coming back and discovering as I, I came back to finish my education uh, at Weimar, College, Weimar Institute in California, and discovered that just an hour down the road from us was a group of, well, were Southeast Asian refugees who spoke the very languages that I had been learning. And God opened doors just, we, we launched a, an outreach from, a joint outreach from Weimar Institute and the Sacramento Japanese Church to the Southeast Asian refugees in Sacramento. And the search outreach, Southeast Asian Refugee Community Helps, lasted long after I graduated. Um, over 100 students ended up being involved. Many of them became career missionaries. It ended in two church, there were, uh, it grew into two church plants in, in Sacramento, uh, one among the Lao. And here is one of our young people from that church plant who is now himself, he's passed me up already. He's a pastor with an MDiv, and he's doing wonderful things. He, ha 
he has created contextualized Bible studies in the Lao language that are used around the world. Uh, my husband and I were invited to a Lao service, Sunday service by some, a couple of Lao ladies we met who came to a baptism at our church, of a Lao lady at our church. We went to their church, and my husband said, do you know Pastor Sang? Oh, yes, we know Pastor Sang. Everywhere we go, hardly any Lao people in the U.S., I think, but at least among the Christian population that, that, haven't, that don't know Pastor Sang. Um, well, then my, so a Lao church plant and a Hmong church plant that's going strong. Now there are, it's branched out to two. My husband and I were called to plant churches among the Hmong in Wisconsin and Minnesota, where we are now. And there are now three church plants. Um, looks like it's going to grow to four very soon. Um, and uh, through a series of miracles, I was asked to coordinate it division-wide. But um, let's jump right in. Thank you so much, Pastor Sang. What is success? Success in any line demands a definite aim. He who would achieve true success in life must keep steadily in view the aim worthy of his endeavor. And she goes on to say, the heaven-appointed purpose of giving the gospel to the world in this generation is the noblest that can appeal to any human being. Wow, if that is highlighted by God's servant as the most noble goal that could appeal to any human being, why would we not all give our lives to that goal? Amen? It opens a field of effort to everyone whose heart Christ has touched. One lady came up to me after, a, after I shared my experience in Thailand and said, you know, I don't know why I just never felt called to be a missionary. And I thought, how can you not feel called to be a missionary? <laughs> um, but then I discovered a quote that says, it is acquaintance that awakens sympathy, and sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. Now, did you catch how packed, power-packed that quote is? Um, I know we're all adults, but forgive me. I'm going to revert to my English teaching. The more senses we involve in our learning, the better we'll remember it. Let's, can you repeat after me? It is acquaintance that awakens sympathy. And sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. There are so many implications. In other words, if you don't feel called to reach out to refugees, chances are it's because you haven't had a personal acquaintance with refugees or with someone who's working with refugees. Um, and just the, the fact that you don't feel called might not mean that you aren't called. And we'll look into that a little more today. I believe it's Education 262. It's either 262 or 269. Two of my favorite quotes are in those two places. What will it take to finish the work? If, if the most noble goal that can appeal to any human being is to reach the world with the gospel in this generation, 
What will it take? Where are we now? I, de I decided to do a little research. Okay, I'm, I am so, you know, there are so many self-help speakers and bloggers and webinars out there saying all you have to do to be successful is to uh, decide what you want out of life, uh, outline the steps to get there and do something toward it every day and you'll be successful. But I'm thankful to be a member of a church that has a mission that if I pour my heart and soul into it, I will not end up at the end of my life realizing, oh my, what I gave, like so many people, what I gave my whole life to, to earn money or get what I thought I wanted out of life when I was young, isn't really what, I, what made me happy. What God gives us as a goal is the most thrilling, fulfilling, meaningful thing of all. And our, our church mission statement describes it. The mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is to proclaim to all peoples, amen, the everlasting gospel in the context of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, 6 to 12, leading them to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and to unite with his church and nurturing them in preparation for his soon return, amen? But I'd like to go back to this part, Revelation 14, 6 to 12, has taken on new meaning to me as I have researched these areas. Basically, the mission in a nutshell is to take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So I thought, Mrs. White says we're to look our work squarely in, in the face. So where are we? What have we yet to do? And I found out that we as Seventh-day Adventists have a presence in 215 of the 236 nations and areas recognized by the United Nations. Amen? That's quite, that's quite, a, that's quite a good percentage. Okay, kindred. Now, believe it or not, I could not find any research. And I think it's because this concept is a little bit vague to us as Westerners. It didn't, I didn't really understand much. It didn't mean as much to me till I married my husband, who is Hmong from Thailand. And he started telling me about his culture. And I started learning the language and observing when two Hmong people meet on the street or in the grocery line, the first thing they ask is not, What's your name? What, where do you go to school? Where do you work? The, the first question is, which Hmong are you? In the Hmong culture, there are 18 last names. Originally, there were 12. What does that remind you of? <laughs> 12 tribes of Israel. And who were the spiritual leaders? The tribe of Levi, right? The Levites. Well, in Hmong, they have the Lee last name. And interestingly, a lot of the pastors in the Hmong culture are Lees. My husband is a Lee. And all the Hmong pastors, I should say both of the Hmong pastors in the United States, were Lees until we just brought someone from another last name. Uh, he's been here three weeks, Pastor Chen Chen. And, but 
The last name determines everything. It determines what I call you, how I relate to you, how our families relate to you, how my what my children call you. Everything. Who can and can't marry who? You just don't know how to relate to each other unless you know what kindred you're from and you figure out how you're related to that kindred. And that determines what you call each other, how you relate to each other, how much help you give each other, everything. So even though there's no research, in, to my knowledge, in Western uh, circles, it was important enough to God to put it right in the core of our mission statement. Amen? <laughs> so that's something to remember when you reach out to refugees. Tongues. There's extensive, extensive research on which language groups are and are not reached by, by, the, by Christians in general. And the Joshua Project, if you're taking notes and you want to do more research, just Google the Joshua Project and there's a wealth of information there. But there are nearly 7,000 language groups that are still unreached by the gospel. Um, many of them have not even a page of scripture in their language. So I thought, how many, how many people does that represent? When I first started this ministry, 2.9 billion. Now it's 3.15 billion that are in those, just in those unreached language groups. That's not talking about our relatives that haven't accepted the gospel yet. This is just people who live in a language group, a people group that doesn't have access to the gospel. I didn't understand this until I went to Thailand, and I, I met people who had never, never heard about Jesus. Never. We are, we are working with people now who, have, who never heard the word in their language for God. Um, incredible. So that brought me to another question. What will it take to reach these people? Okay, on the average, how many people would every Seventh-day Adventist have to reach, every Seventh-day Adventist in the world, have to reach to reach the gospel, the world with the, reach these unreached people with the gospel in this generation? And I found out every Seventh-day Adventist has to reach an average of 165 unreached souls. That means from those unreached language groups. In addition to us reaching out to our families and our neighbors, this is just the people who have no access to the gospel, even if they had some reason to want to try to find out about it. Exactly, we're coming to that. <laughs> Thank you. Our membership grew last year by one million, amen? But the world population grew by 75 million. So it's not likely to get easier anytime soon. <laughs> Waiting will just <laughs> make the job bigger. Um, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we all know that every soul is as precious and fully known to Christ 
as if he, were, he or she were the only one for whom Christ died. Reminds me of a young Lao refugee uh, in the Napo refugee camp in Thailand. I was visiting, and he said, may I tell you my story? And I said, oh, yes, please, I love stories. <laughs> I love to hear the stories of refugees. And he told me, when I was 10 years old and my sister was seven, our parents, who had good jobs in the capital city, were captured by the new government. That's when the communist government took over uh, in Laos. And, I, and um, his parents were among the first to be captured um, in 1975. And, and he realized, wow, I'm the man of the house now. I need to find a way to provide for my little sister. And so I looked around and thought, wow, what do I, what do we have? What can I do? And he thought, okay, we have a bathtub. Most people in Laos don't have a bathtub, right? <laughs> so he decided, okay, I'm going to raise fish in the bathtub and sell them at the market to, to take care of my sister. Well, he tried valiantly. He gave it a heroic try, but he soon realized that it wasn't going to be enough to support his little sister, who was seven. And he f realized he would have to find a way to leave his country. Um, he found someone who, uh, who would be able to get him across the Mekong River. I'm sure he had to pay. He didn't talk, mention that, but... He and his sister left their home, the car in the driveway, which also is not a common possession in Laos, and went to Thailand and to, to the Nepal refugee camp where he had been for seven years when I met him. And he said, every time new refugees come from Laos. I ask him, have you seen my parents? Have you heard anything about them? He said, I've never met anyone who has seen or heard any word of them. I don't know if they're dead or alive. I don't know if I'll ever see them again. But I'm so glad that communism came into my country. My mouth must have dropped open because he was quick to answer my unspoken question. He said, because if communism had not come into my country, I would never have learned about God. That's how much it means. Before I went to Thailand, I remember I was canvassing, and I met someone who was not a believer in God, and he said, why do you have to go mess those people up when he found out I was going to be a missionary? They have their language. They have their culture. They have their religion. They're, they're doing just fine. Why do you have to go mess them up? Well, obviously, I didn't feel it was messing them up. I felt we had something of value to offer. But it was not until this young man told me his story that I had a real answer. It means more than probably we who have grown up with the gospel will ever, will ever realize. Where are they? Here Pastor Paul is. <laughs> Most of the unreached are in the 1040 window. We'll see a picture of it in a moment. They're in restricted nations where missionaries are not welcome. If you're taking notes, I recommend that if you're not already receiving the Voice of Martyrs newsletter, Google it and subscribe to the Voice of Martyrs newsletter. 
you have a new window on the world. Um, they have two lists, a list of restricted nations and hostile nations. Um, the unreached are also in countries with little, if any, religious freedom. Um, our Department of Religious Liberty puts out a report periodically listing all the nations in the world in five categories, from those with the most religious freedoms to the, those with the least, most of least, least of most. Anyway, um, you can find out which countries have the least religious freedoms. And so I did some research. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. Here's a 1040 window. I am by, oh, I'm sorry, by world religion. Um, so imagine if our, if we need to reach 165 people in those areas, and by the way, we know that not every member is going to reach cross-culturally. Of everyone at this camp meeting, how many people do you think are likely, are likely to reach out cross-culturally? Well, judging just from the attendance at the seminar, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> not the majority. So I think that means that those of us who are sitting right here will have to multiply that number by maybe 10, fair to say? So let's say 1,650 for those of us who are sitting here. <laughs> um, even if we were to sell our homes, buy a plane ticket, and go overseas, how, how could we reach that many people? But God has a plan, amen? His biddings are enablings. I love Christ's Object Lessons 333. And this quote, <laughs> Elder Mercado stole my thunder. <laughs> you have a preview. If we were quick in discerning the opening providences of God, we should be able to see in the multiplied multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America, a divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message into many of the nations of the earth. All the nations, you're right. Not many, not even most, but all the nations of the earth. When I read this, it gave me goosebumps because as missionaries to Asia, we would sit around talking about, and we wondering when God would lift the Iron Curtain in China and many of these countries in the 1040 window like he had in Russia so we could rush in and share the gospel like we did then and there. But as I read this quote, I realized we don't have to wait on the political situation to change. In fact, God is turning the curse of political and religious oppression and war in, in these restricted and hostile nations into a blessing. Anthropologists call it their brain drain and our brain gain. But it's not only brain drain and brain gain, but it's 
spirituality drain and spirituality gain for us. The people who are coming are some of the most deeply spiritual people you have ever met. They would put some of us nominal Adventists to shame. I went, I have, how many of you been, have been in the home of a Muslim? One, two, and I have been in the home of, of a Muslim, uh, in a Muslim home once. And I will never forget the experience. I was at Southern Adventist University for a speaking appointment, and I happened to run across a friend of mine went to college with. He said, oh, got somebody you've got to meet. I've got to test in a little bit, but I'll run, I'll run drop you by, and my other friend's going to come pick you up. It's a, a Muslim home. <laughs> OK, um, what do I say? <laughs> I was a little bit <laughs> nervous. And so he dropped me off, and he was gone. And, and the lady of the house was so gracious. She brought me juice and snacks, just very welcoming. Her husband was asleep because he worked nights at Amazon. Well, soon he woke up and we started talking with him too. And then my friend Gabby, Gabriella Phillips, is Adventist Muslim Relations Coordinator for the North American Division. If you have not heard her speak, you're missing a treat. Um, she came by. And we all got to talking, and you know, Muslims are not committed Muslims. I'm not talking about radicals, Muslims, but committed Muslims are very open about their faith. They're very open about sharing their beliefs. And he had a prayer request. He said, I am so thankful to have work that I can support my family, but. I, I have a prayer request. He said, I work at Amazon, and 40% of what they sell is material that, that they would be, people would or at least should be ashamed to buy over the counter. And I have to handle it and package it and see it day after day, and, and I just feel like, he said, I don't know about how you be, what you believe, but I, I believe, we believe that the way we make our money affects our family. It's this money that I use to buy food and water for my children, and they eat it, and it becomes a part of, the, you know, their body uses it to make blood and bones, and I, I just... Would you pray that I can find a job where I can not have to handle this moral filth? And I thought to myself, that's a man of conviction. That's a man of character. That's a man of integrity. Is that the kind of Muslim you hear about on the news? We talk about other people having anti-U.S. propaganda. We're not immune to propaganda against people we don't know personally. But it is acquaintance that awakens sympathy, and sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. Um, 
God has a plan, and his plan is for us to reach the world, is the refugees, asylees. By the way, refugees and asylees are this same thing except for where they get their status. <laughs> Both are persecuted, but refugees are recognized as refugees by the UN before they are interviewed for, by a third country. And only then do they qualify to be among the 1% of refugees worldwide that are ever resettled into any third country. Only 1%. God has a plan. Refugees, asylees, immigrants, visitors, tourists, temporary workers, um, students, international students are a tremendous um, opportunity and other international guests. The last 10 years has seen one of the greatest migration of peoples in the history of the world. Of the 10 countries that carry out refugee resettlement programs, the U.S. accepts more than double the number of refugees accepted by the other nine countries combined. Now, this was before the current administration. Right now, while the quota has been slashed in less than half, from 110 to 49,000, 110,000 to 49,000, the actual numbers that are being let in are barely half of the quota. So they anticipate that the number of refugees coming in this year will only be a approximately a fourth of the number that was originally going to be able to come in. But there's still three million already here for us to reach out to. And, and I really believe that one reason that God is allowing this slowdown is because he is giving us, the God's remnant people, an opportunity to build trusting relationships with those who are already here especially with Muslim refugees, because the first few that come are always the ones respected by those who come later. It's the first ones that they look up to for their way around. Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? And may we be among those that they trust. Um, I'm going to bring a handout tomorrow that gives the definition of refugee, asylum seeker, um, we've touched on some of this, but um, every news source in America and every major news source in the U.S. and Canada has published an article by this or a similar title. There are 104,000 foreigners coming into the United States per day. Not all staying, only a few stay permanently, but if we reach them while they're here, they can go back and share. And tomorrow I'll share stories of how God is working amazingly. God has brought, God in his providence has brought men to our door, very doors and thrust them, as it were, into our arms that they may learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the truth, the light before men of other tongues, a work we could not do. There is so much wisdom in that phrase. Pastor Sang can do a work I cannot do among the, Mo the Lao. 
people worldwide. He speaks the language. He knows the culture. He can share the gospel in a way that I couldn't begin to. Um, and I'm going to close with one quote, and then tomorrow we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of who's here, who's where, how to reach them. This is an excellent, I would say this is the perfect way to start refugee ministries in your church. But I'd like to add a few steps to make, it, to make sure it's ongoing and sustainable. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. This, we're told there's a great work before us. The world is to be warned. The truth is to be translated into many languages that all nations may enjoy its pure life-giving influence. This work calls for the exercise of all the talents that God has entrusted to our keeping. If we ever thought reaching cross-culturally was for just a few people, we might have to rethink that. This work calls for the exercise of all the talents that God has entrusted to our keeping. Has God given you talents? He needs those um, He's calling for those talents in this work of reaching the unreached. So, and it, we have the assurance that angels are waiting to cooperate with all who will devise plans whereby souls for whom Christ died sorry for the typo, may hear the glad tidings of salvation. More tomorrow. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Dear Father in heaven, thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for this little piece of the minutes from your strategic planning committee in heaven. Thank you for letting it drift to earth and giving us time to contemplate it today. Father, I pray that you will guide us as we work with you to devise plans to reach the unbeached, that you've sent here to help us reach their people around the world. Thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.